Hockey's all on one station. This is WNJH HD1 Hamilton. The views and opinions expressed on this show are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers who are entirely responsible for all show content and do not reflect the opinions of WNJHradio.com. This program is not intended to diagnose any condition or promote any lifestyle. And now, WNJHradio.com presents The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo from Calvary Chapel Church in Hamilton. It is good to be on the air with you guys. Thank you for joining us for another hour. We are pleased to be here. And as always, we are going to begin with a word of prayer. Will you join me? Father, we come to you. We thank you for who you are. We just ask you to bless. Lord, continue to keep your hand of safety, blessing, and protection on this nation. We invite you into our hearts and lives, and we just ask you to to allow us to see the truth and to live it out in our daily lives. May you be pleased with us, and we give you all the Uh, the honor and glory that you are due. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is good to be with you guys. And uh, Rick, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. Radio station. Again, if you would like to call in, our phone number is area code 609-593-9654. Again, that's area code 609-593-9654. We have a wonderful evening planned tonight because we are one week away from our presidential slash important local elections. I know that many of you have strong views concerning election, both uh, nationally and regionally, certainly locally. It impacts each and every one of us at the, the core, most important levels. And we need to recognize that we have a great privilege in this country that many other countries do not have, and that is we get to cast a ballot. I know it's awkward this year. I know this year is going to be unique. This is a uh, different election than I've ever seen before, but uh, I've said it before. We'll probably do the math again just for those who try to keep track of such things, how few people actually decide the fate of the country for the next four years. Many times how few people decide the fate of a town for the next uh, foreseeable three to four years. So when we look at these statistics and we look at what's going on, we want to recognize that uh, we also have the great unique privilege and opportunity to cast our ballot. But more than that, if you are a child of God and you pray, you have the privilege of going to the throne room of God on behalf of others and certainly on behalf of this great country. And we can pray for this country. We can pray for the leaders. We can pray for those who are in authority. Some are easier to pray for than others. That's why God commands us to pray for them. Because sometimes it's easy, sometimes we forget, sometimes we agree with them, sometimes we disagree with them. But whether we agree or we disagree, we want that which is true to be uh, resounding in the hearts and lives of each and every person that gets elected. So this evening, I want to start with a couple of quotes. My wife brought me this wonderful book. It's called If My People, A Prayer Guide for Our Nation. And as this book was, uh, was put together, and this is a book that you cannot purchase, it is a free book, and it says right on it, it's a free gift not to be sold. So nope, you can't buy it from me. I have a few copies that I have acquired that are actually given to me, and I have given some of them out and 
have given the rest away. But if you look or would like to find a copy of this, Crisis Pregnancy Services in Egg Harbor City has this, and they are giving them to people that want one as they come in to their facility. I know the the people that administrate over there at uh, Crisis Pregnancy Services, and they're a wonderful couple, godly family that are looking just to help. And it used to be called, um, um, oh, I forget what the name used to be, but uh, the reality is that they have taken that which has been around for a... several decades now, and they have brought it into the 21st century to be able to say we recognize that the needs of women who are facing uh, the difficulties associated with a birth, planned or unplanned, need encouragement, guidance, and assistance. And they are there to give encouragement, guidance, and assistance, and certainly prayer, and help to point them on the right path. Uh, Many times they're able to help with things like diapers or car seats and uh, sometimes food and the like, and certainly point them into the various resources that are available. I am not an expert on it. Uh, That's why I I have these friends whom I keep that in the back of my mind in case I ever need it. I can refer people to those who are expert in this area. I can refer people to those who are, um, you know, I can put confidence in that they're going to give that which is good godly counsel. So uh, they have actually provided a couple of these books to me, and I have one in my hands, and I'm going to read a quote from early in this book, and it's from a man you may be familiar with, Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan said this early on, Inside the Bible's pages lie all the answers to all the problems man has ever known. It is my firm belief that the enduring values presented in its pages have a great meaning for each of us and for our nation. The Bible can touch our hearts, order our minds, and refresh our souls. You know, Ronald Reagan was at his core a politician And the man even took that which is the Bible, and he wanted to be careful as to how he said it, because I don't believe he carried it far enough. You know, it is not just a firm belief that the enduring values presented have a great meaning for each of us, but they have the answer that cures those things that are going on in this world that are bringing us to the condition that we are, perhaps the brink of the brink of societal breakdown, the brink of war with other countries, and you know who they are. You know, I'm not telling you guys are informed. You know what's going on in the world. You know the the things that, that are happening day to day. We don't often talk at great length about, excuse me, <clears throat> we don't often talk at great length about the things that are going on uh, concerning China and that which is their... I don't want to get in trouble, but I'll call them aggressive actions that are being taken in the South China Sea, uh, that which are the actions that are being taken in South America by the government of China with off the coasts of South America, the fishing that is taking place within the, the bordered lines of South America from China. And you say, Really, I didn't know that's what's going on. Listen, there is a ton of things that are going on in this world, and very few of them actually make the newspapers. 
very few of them actually make that, which is the, uh, you know, the, the presentation. And it's not the, the Associated Press or Reuters do not do stories on them. It's that those stories don't draw very much attention. And because they don't draw very much media attention, we see stories like, oh, my goodness, there's more global warming. Oh, my goodness, look at that. If you do, we don't get the carbon dioxide under control, even though the last seven months has been a drop of 0.03% in the overall carbon dioxide. And we view this as a global catastrophe. And I can tell you that, look, I am not coming down against science of global climate shift. I'm really not. Because I just, I'm certainly not an expert in it. I'm not a scientist. So I don't speak to those things that I don't fully understand. But what I do understand is this, even though climate change may or may not be a real imminent threat, it is farther away an imminent threat than that which the Chinese government is doing today. It is a farther away imminent threat than that which the Iranian government is doing today. It's a farther away imminent threat as to what the Turkish government is doing today and far away. And you just keep going down the list of those things that are imminent threats. And when it comes right down to it, you know, the, the climate change that moves down the list. If you were to ask me, you know, things that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, the, the heavy financial investment in Panama by the Chinese government to almost take over that, which is control of the Panama Canal. Uh, we looked at it and said one out of four ships that come into the North America actually pass through the Panama Canal. So that's going to be a heavy uh, burden or difficulty should any restrictions or closings or costs or uh, any of the, the impact of that Panama Canal. Yet everybody in America, we're kind of here snoozing saying, oh, I don't know. Did you see the debate? Oh, I don't know. Did you hear what's going on? Did you see what Twitter said about or can you even see it on Twitter because they're suppressing that, which is the conservative message? Like, look, guys, we need to get more uh, more in tune with what's really going on in the world. We need to recognize that there is a stage that is being set in the Middle East that is the opportunity for uh, the precursor to Armageddon. And if the stage as it is currently set, if that curtain opens and the first gamut takes place, uh, the dominoes will fall in rapid succession. And when they do, you're going to find that the world is going to cry out and say, oh, no, what do we do now? Maybe we'll touch on that in a couple of weeks when the world actually says, oh no, what will we do now? Because the world will provide an answer. That answer is going to be a person who is going to be able to unify both the religious uh, organizations, the political organizations, the governmental differences in organizations, and he will bring about a united world government, a united currency globally, and a united religion that is universal. And whomever this individual is will say, peace, peace, peace. And all of the world will say, what a wonderful man he is until three and a half years in. And then the truth of him is revealed and he will no longer be that really nice guy, but he will reveal who he truly is. You know, you may have had 
interaction with people that seem to be very genuinely friendly. They want to appear nice, but they're not nice. They're just abusive or they're immoral or they're in some way, well, I'll just use a common word, toxic, yet they hide it very well. And as they hide it and people say, well, I don't know, maybe you misunderstood them. Aren't you giving them a chance or just waiting for the opportunity to pounce? And then when they pounce, oh my goodness, then there will be terrible consequences to pay. So what I want to do is I want us to focus on these things that God has given us. And he's given us a spirit of spirit of truth. And he wants to cast out that spirit of fear. So if you were in any way afraid during this election period, let me help you get on your knees. And we're going to pray even a little bit later. We're going to pray for this government. We're going to pray for our current president. We're going to pray for the future president, whomever the people elect. And we are going to pray for this nation because this nation, this one people under God, I pray, are indivisible. If we're in Christ Jesus, we certainly are indivisible. It means we can never be divided. So I'm going to read to you from a man named Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States. And he writes this, the Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and the spiritual nature and needs of men. It's the only guide of life which really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Scripture. You know, men who were president, who were effective, who were men who were able to bring about great change, men who I would say I respect, these men relied heavily on that which is the truth found in God's Word. Men like Ulysses S. Grant, our 18th president, hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Write its precepts in your hearts. Practice them in your lives. To the influence of this book are we indebted for all the progress made in true civilization. And to this we must look as our guide in the future. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Why is that important? Because we in this country, we have taken sin and we've done away with the word. We've taken those things that we know displease God. And we say that God's going to have to change his mind. In fact, we don't even believe that there is a God if he doesn't agree with us. And when we say things like that, God will give us over to that mind. He calls that kind of thinking reprobate. He said, if you want to think like that, you want to be self-motivated and self-taught, self-educated and self-fulfilling, then you go right ahead and I will leave you to it. But I don't know about you, but men who are facing tougher battles than I've ever faced, men like the Ronald Reagans and the George Washingtons and the Ulysses S. Grants, these are men that I have to look to and I have to say they faced some of the world's worst challenges and toughest difficulties, and they said, I can't face it unless I rely heavily on the Word of God. And we, the people, need to rely heavily on the teaching and the truth of the Word of God. I haven't even gotten to Franklin 
Roosevelt, and here I am talking for almost 18 minutes about those things that uh, we should accept already as true. Maybe that's one of the saddest things that I, I get to share this evening, is that somebody writes a book to have to try to remind us of those things that we should already know as self-evident, that all men created equal are endowed by their creator. Maybe we should see that things like self-evident creation uh, should not even be debated. But yet here we are forced to rock back and try to defend whether or not I was created or whether I just evolved from happenstance. I can tell you that I don't believe that life came from non-life. I believe very clearly that God created man and created man in God's image. That's why he requires of us so much. When he says, I've made you like me, I want you to represent me. And then mankind does our level best to oppress our neighbor, to oppress our fellow man, to, you know, God never made enemies. God only made people. People make enemies. We need to fix this. And we can't fix it by finding what's wrong in the other guy. We need to fix it by saying, can you and I both agree that there is one common truth and we both want to know that common truth and then to walk in that common truth? And if we can, I think things will be much easier. You know, when Jesus, well, we'll get to the Good Samaritan. I'm sure we have a break because it's seven, almost 7.20, so we can take a break. Uh, again, the phone number here is area code 609-593-9654, 609-593-9654. If you have a comment or a question, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have a prayer request, certainly we'd love to hear from you and write that down. We're going to continue looking at some of these men who have uh, things to say, and then we're going to look at what's going on around us and how we can navigate through. God bless you guys. Hello, this is Diane Lombardo with Calvary Chapel Hamilton's Women's Ministry. During this difficult time with so many restrictions, it is easy to get down when we focus on the things we cannot do. I'd like to challenge us all today to focus on those things which we can do. We can call our neighbor to check on them. We can offer to get groceries for the elderly living nearby. We can send a card through the mail to encourage and brighten someone's day. We can be gracious and kind to those who are working at the grocery stores, pharmacies, and other businesses. We can brighten someone's day with just a smile from a distance. We can implement family meals within our home. We can walk around our yards and neighborhoods praying for others. We can thank those who are working on the front lines. We can plant a beautiful garden and share with our friends. We can worship God from our living rooms with live stream options. We can do so many things, even in the midst of having restrictions, in ways we never expected. Together, we can bring beauty and joy to our friends and family. I look forward to seeing the impact you will have. Please share what you're doing on our Facebook page at Calvary Chapel Hamilton. Looking for a place to hang out with family and friends and have a great time too? Rocco's Townhouse, 21 North 3rd Street, Hamilton, New Jersey, is the place for you. Dave and Steve Ruberton have kept traditions of the townhouse alive and well for more than 35 years. Open daily at 4 p.m., Rocco's Townhouse has a very large selection of microbrew beers, both on tap and in the bottle. Along with daily dinner specials, you will never walk away hungry. Looking for something different? Rock Bottom Whiskey Bar is the place located downstairs at Rocco's Townhouse. It's 
open every Friday and Saturday night at 7 p.m. And it doesn't stop there. Live events from some of the greatest local bands in the area make the evening better. Look to have your next event at Rocco's Townhouse and Rock Bottom Whiskey Bar. Rocco's Townhouse, 21 North 3rd Street, Hamilton, New Jersey, is the place where everyone is meeting. Don't forget to visit them online at roccostownhouse.com or give them a call at 609-561-9384. That's 609-561-9384. Everyone meets at Rocco's Townhouse. You're listening to The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo on WNJHradio.com. Thank you again for joining us. I want to read a quote from Calvin Coolidge because uh, one of the things that we're looking at in this postmodern society where we have already determined that there is no such thing as absolute truth, which is crazy and terrible, but we have decided that we will determine truth mostly based on how we feel. If it feels good, do it. If it feels right to me, it must be right. Therefore, who are you to judge me and my rightness? Uh, okay, that is one way to go. I don't believe that a society can stand very long with that as its pillar. So I have a man named Calvin Coolidge who wrote this. The strength of our country is the strength of its religious convictions. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. Can you imagine that not very long ago that belief in the Bible as truth was almost practically universally accepted in this country? And now people have turned away from even believing that the Bible is the truth or the source of authority, and therefore we try to make the laws that have been established with already the foundational truth that God's word is true, and we say, let's reject God's word, but let's still try to hold things together. And the number one thing that comes to mind is marriage. Marriage, laws for marriage, legal marriage, what does marriage look like when you remove that which is the authority of the Bible? You cannot come up with a good working definition of marriage because God's the one that designed it, God ordained it, and God set the parameters for marriage. God said for marriage it must be one man and one woman to be joined together. If someone says that, no, 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 it can be not just Adam and Eve, it can be Adam and Steve, I'm saying you can do that. Two people are permitted in society to cohabitate and engage in activity that is not that which is typically engaged in between a man and a woman. I don't want to be insensitive. But you cannot say, the Bible says that's correct. The Bible calls that marriage. The Bible doesn't call it marriage. If we society want to change the definition of marriage, that is our prerogative. But we must be honest and genuine with ourselves and say, I choose to reject that teaching of the Bible and choose to superimpose my new core belief which is marriages between two parties whom we have determined to be of whatever age we have determined and whatever condition we have determined, and we will set the parameters and the conditions for that which we now will call marriage. 
And I look at that from a Christian perspective and say society has the right to do that. We have the way to pass laws in order to accomplish that. So choose to do that if you wish, but do not say the Bible approves. Do not say that God said that that is a good idea. The Bible never says that is a good idea. Yes, but you hate those that that act in that behavior. No good Bible-believing Christian hates a brother. They don't hate them because of their sexual preference any more than we hate a brother because of the color of their skin. We love the brother, and if it is somebody who is even an enemy of ours, we are commanded to love our enemies. So there's nobody on the planet we are permitted to hate. Now, is sin something that God hates? Of course sin is hated by God. There are many things that God hates. Here's a biggie. Divorce. God hates divorce. But that doesn't get pounded behind the microphones too much because that's not an issue anybody's overly comfortable with. And we in society have already come down with a new set of laws and parameters that have said society has now dictated that divorce is an acceptable alternative to being married. In fact, if you're married, your marriage is, you can end your marriage or terminate your marriage if you choose to no longer desire to be married, irreconcilable differences or other reasons, and you may terminate your marriage. I believe that if you are joined in a marriage before God, that the two become one, and to tear that apart is a tearing away of those two, and it becomes very ugly and painful and messy. God says, I hate divorce, and he says that if you choose divorce, it's because of the hardness of your hearts. I understand. I really do. Uh, But society cannot dictate and say, well, you know, I guess it's a good idea. If you don't feel like being married to your partner anymore, you deserve to be happy, so therefore you should liberate yourself from that institution. Nope, that's the postmodernist church that says, I choose to reject God's word is truth, and I choose to superimpose my feelings over truth, leading us all the way through to that which we even debate come election time, and that is the life of the unborn child. Do we consider the life of the unborn child as valuable? I can tell you I certainly consider the life of the unborn child valuable. I don't ever want to cheapen that life by calling it a blob of tissue or just a meaningless uh, glob of cells that can be extracted and I don't even want to call terminated because I don't think they use the word terminated, can be extracted and disposed of. Well, that's clear and clear enough. But God's word says different. God's word says that before we were even born, God knows us in the womb, that we have an opportunity to be a baby because God calls babies in the womb baby. And if you don't believe me, you can turn to Luke chapter 2 in your spare time and you can look it up when God is talking and he is giving us that which is the account of Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth. And when Mary presented herself to the home of Elizabeth, God says, and the baby leapt in the womb. God does not call it anything other than the infant child. Yes, not 
breathing out of the uterus. That's true. But God calls it a baby. So if God calls it a baby, who am I to change that definition? If I legally want to go through that which is the judicial process to change the name of a baby from baby to fetus, which, by the way, my understanding is if you look up the word fetus, it means baby, but people feel better about it. If you want to call it something other than that, uh, then you have to be honest with yourself and call it anything you want. You can call it a, you know, a purple cupcake if you feel like it, but God calls it a baby. If you want to call that which is growing in a mother's womb something different, that is clearly your prerogative. But don't take the word of God, misinterpret it, misquote it, misapply it, fail to read it, fail to believe it, say it is now therefore wrong because it violates that which is my conscience or even my feelings or emotions. Heaven forbid it violate and make me not feel good about myself. Terrible. God wants us to know what's best for us and be and have what's best for us. And we need to be grown up enough to be able to look at the Bible and say, I choose to take God at his word and listen to him. But when we remove those things which used to be universally known truths, that God's word is important, that a family structure is important, that loving your neighbor is important, that reading the Bible is important, that praying together is important, that having God on our side and living a godly and moral life is important, is important, then we have lost more than just where we have no right to claim our liberty. I'm going to read from a man who very few people disagree with, and that's Franklin Roosevelt. We cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the Republic, where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. And if you look around today and you say to yourself, have we attained the greatest measure of contentment? Contentment is not the hallmark of the United States of America anymore. Contentment is not the hallmark of the world globally. Discontent is the, the position and the condition of the world. None are satisfied with uh, what it is that we have. If I may for a minute, Pastor. Um, a very good book, as you, you gave me a copy of it. And we talked about this just before we went on the air, that people don't realize, especially today's world, that our Constitution is based through the Bible. There is so much in our Constitution that reflects back to the Bible. For your years as a pastor, where do you feel this shift started? In the 80s, the 90s, where did the shift started away from God being the center of our country? Clearly, in my view, it, it came very probably in the 40s. Okay. We'll call it the 30s and 40s, but it came in the 30s and 40s. People started to shift away. They started to rely more on their grandparents than they did on their parents. And this is what I mean by that. By the turn of the century... Uh, Men and women had come out of something that the world has never seen before, and that is a civil war. And when they came out of the civil war, 
the whole country was hurting. The whole country was trying to find its identity. We had lost scores of thousands of people. Yes, we did. And whether you were north or whether you were south, you were wounded. Mm -hmm. And every family suffered, and the nation was rebuilding. And God, I believe, through his miraculous design, provided this super energy in that the advances of the industrial age Mm -hmm. that gave such great rise to this country. And it was almost as if God was saying, you settled an issue that that has been harming you for years. You've been turning a blind eye to that issue of slavery, and you need to deal with it. And it was dealt with, and it was dealt with painfully. Uh, was it dealt with as fully as it should have been? Look, look, I'm I'm not a historian, but I can can read about it. Clearly, it was not dealt with as completely as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Had it been dealt with as completely, we would not have suffered what we suffered in the 60s. Right. But since it was not dealt with as completely as it should have, it had to be re-dealt with. But God gave us this magnificent opportunity to say, because you have dealt with it, let me bless you as a people again. Right. And then when he started to bless us, we then had to start making choices. Unfortunately, the choices that we made became very selfish. We came historically. The Civil War ends. People start recovering. As they recover, they then have children. We now have a new generation. Mm -hmm. So from the 1870s, now the early 1900s, we have a new generation. And that generation was brought up this way. If there's ever a time to trust in the Lord God, it's now. Right. We need to trust in God. With that came a revival. The early 1900s revival, late 1800s, that was a time of great revival. When that revival took place, people started to get this, uh, this mental shift to be able to say, we need to be better. And instead of changing our hearts, we started looking at our neighbor saying, your behavior is reprehensible. You should not be permitted to do what it is that you do. I know what it is that's causing it. Alcohol. So when you have, let's just say, the, the late 1910s, mm-hmm. there was a revival so that on a Sunday morning, bars would close. Right. On Saturday nights, bars would close because people were preparing for church services. Right. So you didn't have to order bars to be closed. Mm-hmm. Because they were closed. Right. They were closed on Sunday because they were in church. People were in church. And then those people that were not in church, if you wanted to open a bar, you had nobody to serve because people didn't want to go to the bar. Mm -hmm. People said, that's a great idea. We should legislate that. And I believe that legislating morality is the backward way of trying to do it. So we then passed those laws that would try to limit and eliminate alcoholic beverages. Right. And when we did that as a people, the motivation may have been uh, good in its its, uh, principle, 
but in its practice, it was very poor. Mm -hmm. So they started trying to enforce that. You cannot enforce it. People then drew a line in the sand and viewed it as their personal right Right. to be able to have alcoholic beverages. And look at what happened. We now have the 20s, which were a terrible time, culminating in the 30s, which eventually led to even the Great Depression, which was a terrible time. And the only people that seemed to get anything, uh, get a leg up were those people that were taking advantage of the of those laws and then we had the gangster era Mm -hmm. when the gangster era came people are starting to lose hope what was it that unified this country was what took place over in eastern europe yes when after world war one which you would have thought from 1914 to 17 when we lost so many of our young men that we would have learned our lesson that when that took place Uh, By the 30s, Eastern Europe is now exploding again. A man named Adolf Hitler is coming to power. And it's not until 1941 that we as a nation start to unify. As we unify, that generation, which many have called the greatest generation, Mm -hmm. that generation said we need to go back to our core principles. Right. Not just the principles of our parents, the principles of our grandparents. What did my grandmom say? Because your grandmom taught in school in the early 1900s. She taught from the Bible. If you were going to learn how to read, you read from a biblical primer. You you were reading scripture to learn how to read. It was because every family had a Bible. So Mm -hmm. if you wanted to read, we knew everyone had the same words in their home so the kids could learn to read. And it's a great way to teach people how to read. So that, but that was grandma. That wasn't my mom and dad. They were living the high life in the 20s and the 30s. And now we're the great generation, which we had to get refocused. When they came back from the war, we now have those things that are the liberation. um, We'll call it the liberation movement. Mm -hmm. They came back and did not necessarily... uh, I'm going to equate it to church attendance did not take their children to church, right. sent their children to church. Right. And that would be, for me personally, that would be uh, my parents and yes. around that age. And same thing. So I, I, I know where you're going with this. but Yeah. yeah. They believed that church was important, mm-hmm. but that God slash Jesus Christ was not necessarily the center of my life. He was an important part of my life. Yes. But he was not necessarily... Right. Absolutely. My life. Right. And that was the beginning of the next generation that is trying to find it for themselves, the baby boomers early on coming to terms with things that they couldn't wrap their mind around Mm -hmm. Vietnam, Mm -hmm. a big deal sent great confusion and no one would give them the answer. The church was, uh, the church was not as clear as it should be. So that's what I believe brought about this, this postmodern view of saying, where will we find the truth? The explosion in that which is science, saying science will give us the answers. Mm-hmm. And then when science failed to give us the answers, they said, where are we going to go? No one has the answers. Therefore, we can't know. Okay. And now we have what it is that we're dealing with, right. which is pockets of revival. The 70s, late 60s, early 70s, we had a Jesus movement. It was a great move of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And now that generation are now grandparents. Right. It, it you, you're not, uh, you cannot take that which is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and just uh, 
say, because I have a deep personal relationship with Jesus Christ, therefore my kids and certainly my grandkids will. No, unless I live it out in my life every day and demonstrate to my kids how important it is. Right. So while I'm preaching here, let me... <laughs> no, no, you're, you're fine because uh, it's something that kind of is making more sense on the movement away from the center of the focus, which is what this country was founded on. I mean, yeah, there's no way in the world our kids are going to be able to know that we believe that Jesus Christ is important in our life, that the Bible is important in our life, if we do not physically demonstrate that to our children. That means we need to read the Bible to our children and in front of our children. Mm -hmm. We need to attend church services. Am I inviting you to our church? If you are not attending a good Bible-believing church, we're welcome. Yes, we're so true. open to you. So true. If you are currently attending a good Bible-believing church, pray for your pastor and get involved. Mm -hmm. the, no pastor I know ever says, man, I wish I had fewer people that wanted to get involved. Absolutely. Never. They're always saying, I wish people would get more involved. Mm -hmm. I, I can always use Sunday school teachers, persons that are willing to do that which is in this uh, the necessities mm -hmm. of ministering to the people and making opportunities for others to be able to minister to people. Right. Uh, you know it. I mean, you yeah. you jumped right in, Rick. Yes. Oh no. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I don't, don't. And that's not the way I wanted to go with the conversation. But no, we, no, no, we, but, but 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 it's true. But that's because once again, uh, how can I say this? Uh, you made it. And I say this all the time, you made me feel welcome from the very first Christmas Eve mass that I attended, and it just exploded from there. I mean, you and, and Diane and everybody there opened my eyes to the Bible where my Bible was always closed because I was, you know, I got to admit the way my parents raised me was, you know, I went to Sunday, you know, I went to mass on Sunday because I, you know, I had Right. To, you know. Yeah, and they sent you even to they sent you to school. Right. To a yeah to a Catholic school. I mean, yeah, you went to St. Joe's. Right, which is life. fine because I look back on that as a great experience sure in my was. life. I mean, I, I will never not down my my former alumni. But my parents were of that age where, you know, Jesus was not the center of attention because they were born right. in the third, you know, the late twenties, early thirties, and then the rest of their siblings all the same thing. It wasn't the focus because. As you said, times were were changing and, and, and things, you know, just got different. But I see the younger generation now that's much younger than me are making the switch to putting God back to the focus, especially at our church. I mean, the younger generation is much different than it was when I was their age. But it's the, the book is very eye-opening, and I hope more people will get it. Because it shows the presence that followed along, and not to sound you know, like I'm going to start an argument, but it had it did stop along a certain line of presence, and I'll leave it at that because it's true. I mean, every speech President Reagan gave, he had some type of biblical correct in his speech, and most people didn't realize that. That's why he kept people their center of attraction when he talked. Everybody stopped and listened. And, I mean, you remember when he came to Hamilton. Yes, I do. I mean, I remember. I was a, a freshman in high school. It was like, wow. I mean, the president of the United States is coming to this small little rinky-dinky town. You know, how lucky can we be? But the the town stopped. 
I mean, not because Secret Service stopped it, but just in general, the town stopped because everybody wanted to be in the center of town and hear the president's speech. Well, what's encouraging to me is I, I have seen a, a shift recently. You know, this, this year has been, uh, I know I say these, unprecedented, uncertain times. We well, it is. Challenging. Those words are over and over and over spoken by me because there's no other words to use for no, the times I, in which we're living. Well, it's the truth, though. We are living in a very But I have seen awkward. people now clearly decide— I really do want to get serious about my relationship yes. with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Not just about religion. You know, religion can make people feel better. Religion can make people feel safe. Right. But religion itself can't save anyone. It's no. Jesus Christ who saves. Right. So when people say, I want to know about your religion, I want them to know Jesus Christ. Yeah. As they get to know Jesus Christ, then they will fall in love with him and recognize this is the one who would give his very life for me, and he is God. Mm -hmm. How could I not respond to that right. magnificent love? Right. That he's not here. He's not angry at me. God is not angry at you. God's not angry at me. God sent his son into the world. I'm already condemned. Mm -hmm. And he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Yes. Whosoever believes on him will be saved. He opens his arms to the whosoever's of the world and says, Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you'll be saved. And he's not trying to hide it. He's trying to, to invite us. Yes. Well, there are people, and many of them are, you know, the some that are my age are saying, I never really saw it for myself, and mm. now I see it. Right. Because it's become important. And praise God, and there's, there's a good group that are, uh, we'll call them mature. They have grown children or they're about mm. the age where they have grown children and they are now seeing things with greater clarity. And there's a younger group of people that are saying, I have been looking for truth and now I have found yes. the only source of real truth and that's God's word. Science can take you as far as science can mm -hmm. go. I do not bash science. No. I mean, if without it, science, we wouldn't have medicines. and. telling you, yeah. man, I call my doctor when right. I am sick, and right. I hope that he is really up on that, which mm -hmm. is necessary, because I need that science. Right. Do I want to have electric cars? Look, I don't understand electric cars. I don't care. I just need to get from A to B. B right. So give me a car that I can afford and make it easy enough for me to right. get there. And, and, and it, I don't it, care whether right. it runs on hydrogen or oil mm -hmm. or, or electricity. Right. Uh, it doesn't work cauliflower. It right. does not make right. any difference to right. me. When I put the key in, I'm wanting to start, and I want the wheels to go forward. And Right. Yeah, if, I agree with you. If there is on. one that's better for the environment, who would not want one that's right. better for the environment? I think we all agree on that one. Sure. So what, what are my core beliefs? My core beliefs are science is necessary. Right. But can science give me the answer for the origin of mankind? I, I don't believe so. Mm -hmm. I was just at... Uh, I like going to the aquarium. I like going to museums. And it's just funny to me because you walk through the aquarium and you'll see this, uh, and it's some type of an extinct, of course, water dinosaur. Mm -hmm. And they will say 262.4 million years ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, look, you got to be kidding me. Because you're not talking about about... 
200 million, about 250, 264.4 million years ago. Why don't they say 264 million, 432,821 days? Right. Right. Uh, Because they want to say, we really do have a handle on it. Yes. When I just want them to be honest Mm -hmm. and say, has that? Dinosaur been around for a long time? Sure it has. How long? We're not really sure. Right. But a very long time. Could it be millions of years? I don't know. I I don't right. know how long yeah, God we weren't here. allowed the earth. I wasn't right. here for right. it. We weren't here for that. No, I, I But heard. I don't believe that that dinosaur ever turned into a chimpanzee or an iguana. Right. I think that that dinosaur, that swimming dinosaur, either went extinct or changed into something very similar of its kind. Right that the birds that are also in the exhibit in the, the national museums, mm-hmm. that they were birds. Right. And if they were birds years ago, they were birds later, and they either went extinct, perhaps they adapted, uh, perhaps they even modified through mm-hmm. uh, microevolution into a different type of bird, but I believe that they were always birds. I don't right. think the bird ever was uh, a plant. Right. You know, the bird was never a banana. Right. I don't believe that. No, no. I, I agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. All right, let's stop right there. Oh, I want you to fin- No, no, you're fine. I want you to finish where, you, where you're at in the book, but we also need to take a quick break. So once again, one last time, 609-593-9654, 609-593-9654. We have a few minutes. If anybody wishes to call, we'll be back right after this. Circuit Shack Security and Wiring Incorporated in Sicklerville, New Jersey, offers a full range of security products and provides unmatched 24-hour emergency service, including home integration, custom lighting solutions, whole house audio, video, burglar, fire alarm, and telephone systems, home automation and control, and so much more. Call Circuit Shack Security and Wiring Incorporated at 609 561 4124 or visit them on Facebook. That's Circuit Shack Security and Wiring Incorporated. Now back to the Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo on WNJHradio.com. I want to wrap it up with in this very same book, there's uh, several people who are quoted and uh, the heading under the reason why we vote. Because I encourage you to vote. Uh, again, my math may be wrong. Somebody correct me if I'm if my math is in error. These numbers are, you know, from my recollection, I did not write them down. But it is a general understanding that about 50% of the people in the United States who are eligible to register to vote actually register to vote. Of those 50% of the people who are registered to vote, about 50% of them actually do vote. Of those 50% that actually do vote, the candidate for president of the United States typically is elected by about 45% of that which is the total vote count. So that doesn't mean that the loser got 57%. It means that the loser got less than 43% of that, which is the total vote. And the other candidates in the middle received that, which are the, the difference. So by that math, just as a generality, one 
in eight eligible voter in the country actually has cast a ballot for the sitting president of the United States. I know that we look around and we say, I didn't vote for, I would have voted for, and I would have voted for. But the reality is that only one person out of eight persons who are eligible to cast a ballot actually cast the ballot when it comes to voting. So I believe that we have an opportunity, and in fact, we have um, the encouragement to vote, even sustained by good godly men. I'm just going to read a few of them. A man named Charles Finney, he was a, a circuit-riding preacher. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation are becoming rotten and Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. What a terrible statement on America written many decades ago. Here is a man, Billy Graham, who wrote this. If America is to survive, we must elect more God-centered men and women to public office. Individuals who will seek divine guidance in the affairs of state. And if that has not been challenged or attacked uh, in the recent elections, I don't know what has. That when a person stands up and says, I believe that I need divine guidance, I need to know what the Word of God has to say before I can make intelligent decisions, and the nation says, oh no, I would rather you use your feelings or take a poll as to how we feel about it before you come to any conclusions, I think we're missing the point. I think we need more men like George Washington, who before he even started his day would get on his knees with his Bible open in his seat, and he would pray to the living God asking him for wisdom. In fact, in this book, George Washington's prayers are uh, replete in here because he was a great man of prayer. Abraham Lincoln was a man who spent more time in prayer than any other man that I can name. He's a man who prayed constantly and consistently for wisdom. Here's one. Noah Webster. God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in the fear of God. The preservation of a Republican government depends on the faithful discharge of this duty. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for selfish or local purposes. Corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed to execute the laws The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men and the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. Noah Webster. These are men because they have seen it. They have seen that which is the alternative and they, I won't say fear it, but they warn strongly against it. 
Samuel Adams wrote this, the liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending at all hazards, and it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. We have received them as a fair inheritance from our worthy ancestors. They purchased them for us with the toil and danger and expense of treasure and blood and transmitted them to us with care and diligence. It will bring an everlasting mark of infamy on the present generation, enlightened as it is, if we should suffer them to be wrested from us by violence without a struggle, or to be cheated out of them by the artifices of false and designing men. Meaning these truths that we hold dear are worth to be fought for. Are we willing to even vote for them? And if we're willing to vote for them, are we willing to take a stand and vote for the man or woman we believe would best represent God and his principles? And if that's the case, then we can stand and rest easy and not be afraid come Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening. But for this nation, I can tell you that I am praying, and I invite you to pray with me. Why don't we pray now and take the last few minutes that we have to do just that? You know, Lord God, you know our hearts, and you know that we have been uh, people that, as a whole, need to repent to you. We invite you not to chastise us harshly for the decisions that we've made. We ask you to simply change our hearts and minds. May we redirect our passions. May we uh, fall in love with the truth of your word and then follow accordingly. May we humbly kneel at the cross of Calvary, recognize that Jesus Christ's blood has set us free, and as the privilege we have of being called free in Christ, that we now have the privilege to be able to uphold truths that are self-evident, Help us, Lord, to maintain those truths. Help us, Lord, to provide for an environment and an atmosphere where your word might be expressed as true. May that environment and that atmosphere be welcome in our homes. May we be the ones that are are offering the truth of your word regularly and consistently to our family, our children, and our grandchildren. May they know that we're men and women who love to read the Bible, who truly want to know what the Bible has to say, for in it are all of the answers to all of the difficult questions that we face, the challenges and difficulties that this nation is facing, yes, unprecedented, but did not take you, Lord God, by surprise, that you, the Holy One, You know the end from the beginning that you have stepped up and for today you have given us the privilege to be able to pray, the privilege to be able to come to you and ask you for divine wisdom. And I ask you to, uh, Lord, supersede in this, the United States of America. May we truly repent. May we turn from our wicked ways. May we, Lord, confess our sin. Yes, we as a nation have sinned. And we individually are sinners. And we need you to forgive. And we want to be on the path toward truth. We want to be on the path toward righteousness. And we want to be back on the path toward blessing and greatness. Lord, restore this nation. 
uh, but restored in truth, restored on the foundation of that love and commitment of your son, Jesus Christ. May we be followers of him, students of your word, disciples who make disciples. We love you, Lord, and we ask you, hear our prayer and heal our land. And we give you the praise in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to text them. And uh, if you have prayer requests, please send them in to the radio station next week at this time. When we gather, we're going to perhaps share some and pray for you guys. God bless. Thanks again, Rick. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, as always, Calvary Chapel of Hamilton has two services on Sunday, 9 o'clock and 10.30. The 10.30 is live stream if you cannot make it out on Calvary Chapel Hamilton on YouTube. Tomorrow night is lesson number eight there, Pastor? Number eight? Yes, it is the life and teaching of Jesus ministry. It is a great opportunity to be there. Uh, If you can't come personally, Please join us online. Uh, download the app. It is a great opportunity. The, I'm telling you, the teaching uh, Monday was a difficult day uh, for me, for the family. We've been going through some, some, some health issues with some of my relatives. And in the evening, it was very refreshing to come to a good Bible study, looking at the book of the Revelation, knowing that God is not angry at his bride, the church, but he wants to give us great blessing and even the crown of life. Oh, my goodness. And as we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, can you get better than what it is that Christ has for his church and how we can better know and love him and be a blessing to others around us? That is tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We would love for you to join us. God bless you guys. All right, folks. So there you go. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, if you have nothing to do, I encourage you to come on out. Or if you have something to do, come anyway. Come anyway. Or you can watch it on YouTube. And then on Monday night, our good fellow brother Brian does an excellent job on Monday night. And as always, Sunday, there are two services. Until then, may God bless you all, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us and listening to The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo of Calvary Chapel of Hamilton. Join us next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for The Carpenter's Son on WNJHradio.com.